everyone. It's great to see you here this morning. Uh, my name is Matt. I'm the senior pastor here. Uh, if you're with us for the first time, big welcome. We'd love to get to know you uh, more. If I haven't met you before, I'd love to meet you. I'll hover around up the back uh, somewhere. So please come and say hello. Um, I, along with a number of other people from here, we're, we're going to be this week going uh, over to the Middle East, which for obvious reasons we're not uh, doing that anymore. Um, so my wife thought we'd go camping. She's, uh, Kate's a big fan of camping. Me, not so much. And probably uh, the, the kids, uh, not so much uh, either. But we're going and, um, and we're going to invest uh, in family life. We're going to uh, Wilson's prom this week. And apparently um, we're going camping and we're going to have a good time. So that's good news. That's great news uh, from the Jacoby family. Um, so you can pray for us uh, this week. Speaking of good news, wasn't it great to have Paul uh, speak to us uh, last week talking about uh, partnering with the Holy Spirit? Why don't we give Paul a round of applause and say thank you. Um, uh, thank you, uh, thank you to Paul for such a great word. I really enjoyed listening to that uh, during the week. If you do, uh, if you do miss uh, any of our messages, you can jump uh, onto your favourite uh, podcasting app, and uh, all our messages uh, are podcast there as well. Um, this morning, uh, I'm going to focus on Genesis chapter two and look at something really important that comes out of this chapter and this is very much continuous with something that I, it's very continuous with what Paul uh, spoke about last week but uh, also the week before last I spoke about the way in which Genesis 1 highlights the dignity of human beings. There is no higher view of humanity than there is in the Bible and the first couple of chapters of the Bible really emphasize this and pretty much this is the foundation of our, um, of our whole culture has been built on a sense of the inherent dignity of human beings, all our understanding of human rights and, and um, uh, our, our values are built really upon the, the values that come through in these two chapters. It is also life-changing stuff when you, when you really grasp and inhabit the realities that are being portrayed in the most colorful and beautiful form in these chapters, then it's, it's really life-changing. I wanna remind you then of that part of Genesis chapter one that speaks about the creation of humanity. And this is on the sixth day of creation, Genesis one from verse 26, it says, and then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every creature that moves along the ground. I said that in the case of everything else, it says, in fact, 10 times it says that God created everything according to their kind, 10 times corresponding with 10 divine commands. And God said 10 times uh, in 
Genesis chapter one. This is a chapter that is filled with patterns, even the numbers of times that words are used is significant because this is a very dense theological narrative. Unfortunately, when a lot of uh, people read these th first three chapters uh, of the Bible, this can often seem like a bit of a kid's story. Let me say it's way more sophisticated than that. There is so much depth in these stories. This is a very dense theological narrative and the symbols that are used in this are enormously meaningful. Uh, now, when I say that symbols are being used here, it doesn't mean that these things didn't happen, but these events are, di that in, did indeed happen are conveyed in a very condensed way through these symbols, partly because these chapters, and this is also important uh, to understand Genesis chapters two and three, as well as Genesis one, they are in deliberate conversation with, uh, with uh, stories, creation stories of their day, creation stories that people would have been familiar with. And in the most brilliant way, these, uh, this, the, this account in Genesis chapter one and three is in conversation with those stories, correcting some of the key issues in those stories. One of which was this very low view of humanity in the ancient world, uh, pretty much right through to ancient times, right up into the Greek period, human beings were thought of as a bit of an afterthought. We were just created as these sort of lonely servants of the gods. And yet what we find in the Bible is this very high view of humanity. We were created in the image of God. In the ancient world, the only people, this is a familiar idea in the ancient world because kings in the ancient world claimed this, made this sort of claim that they were created in God's image and were sons of whatever God they believed in. Now what's amazing about this is that it takes this idea and it kind of democratizes this. It says, no, no, everyone is, we are all as human beings, we have that level of dignity, that level of authority, but also that level of responsibility. And that's what I highlighted a couple of weeks ago. This is real empowerment. And what this means when we're told that we are to rule over the earth, when we're told that we are put in charge of this world, of this, of this earth, of this realm. That's real authority. It says in Romans 11 verse 29, the gifts and the call of God are irrevocable. God empowered us. And what that means is that our choice, the choice that we would make as human beings would be significant for determining the sort of world in which we live. Whether it would be if I may put it this way, heaven or hell depended on the decision that we would make. Why? Because we were put in charge, which means we're responsible. Remember one of my kids are walking into their room saying, oh, this is such a mess. And you can imagine uh, my reply as well, you'd better clean it up then. Like there's a lot of people I think who are angry because the world is such a mess and why does God, you know, where is God and what's God doing about, it? Whoa, whoa, hang on, hang on a minute. That's an abdication of responsibility. To blame God for the mess that the world is in, no, it was human choice that put it there. And we all in some way have participated in that original choice 
that we read about in Genesis chapter three. We'll, we'll, we'll get there and sometime uh, soon I'll have a look at that. But today I wanna focus on uh, Genesis chapter two and the, um, the significance of choice. And this is something I wanna emphasize today. The significance of our decisions is highlighted in Genesis chapter two in the conferral of the naming right I know this is not going to seem like a big deal, but it's a big deal in the text because the text is very emphatic about this. I mean, these people are writing on goatskin. They're not going to waste words. It's very emphatic when it talks about the naming right being given, the prerogative to name the animals. And this is what it says uh, about that. And by the way, the significance of this, this is an act of authority. In the ancient world, to name something meant to confer significance or, or to, um, it was an act of authority. So often uh, kings, when they would invade uh, a, a region, they would rename the conquered kings and a number of the nobility. We see that happening uh, in the Bible. The last king of Judah uh, before the exile, if you're familiar with the story, his name was Mattatiah. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, renamed him. When he conquered Judah, he renamed him Zedekiah. Um, Daniel and his friends were renamed. Daniel became Belteshazzar and his friends uh, were called Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. I mentioned that just in case uh, anyone's looking for names for their kids. Um, <laughs> but this, is, this was an act of authority. I'm gonna rename you. This is an act of authority. And so this has this, uh, there's a lot of meaning to this uh, in an ancient world context. So it says in Genesis 2, verses 19 and 20, it says, now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to man to see what he would name them. Notice the freedom conferred upon, upon him. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. Do you notice how emphatic this is? Whatever he called it, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and to all the wild animals. In other words, what he chose, that's what would go. This is emphasizing something very important. And it is that when we make a choice, God is committed to allowing the dominoes of our choice to fall. He is committed to allowing the dominoes, not only of our individual choices, but our corporate choices as humanity going right back to, the, to that first fatal decision uh, made by Adam and Eve at the beginning. God is committed to allowing the domino effect of those decisions. He wants us to live in the messy room that we messed up because it's our responsibility. Because God wants to re-empower us, and I'll talk about this this morning, but in order to be re-empowered, we first need to take responsibility for the mess that we made in the first place. And it's something that corporately together, we all, so it's not that, if something bad happens to you that you must have done something wrong. No, we are all in this human predicament because of the corporate decisions that we as humanity made. We have made the world the way it is. We lost our, we stepped down from our, we abdicated our responsibility. We lost our authority. We, became, we were meant to rule over nature as its stewards. Instead, we became subject to nature. And I mean that in many sense, even personally. We are subject to our human nature when we were meant to be the rulers of it. Now we can be restored to that and I'm gonna talk about that this morning. But first, I want to 
emphasize what it is that this chapter is saying. It's saying that our, our choices really matter. This is, I know this is a really simple point that I'm making, but I'm very aware that in our culture, we, we tend to live in a way that has been described by philosophers um, as expressive individualism. We have this approach to life, approach to self-discovery that is referred to expressive individuals because we think we discover ourselves by expressing ourselves, by expressing our desires. So we kind of live on instinct. We express our human nature and we just sort of go through life, you know, kind of um, uh, sort of vomiting out all of these bad decisions. That's a little, uh, that's a little harsh, I know, but, but it's, we just express ourselves, blah, here we go. This is just what I feel, blah. Now, it's important that we, you know, we can uh, express how we feel, but we live these lives where we just decide to do things and we just, in this open-ended way, we just make these decisions. We don't realise the significance of our decisions because of the amount of influence that each of us have that every decision we make is setting off a domino effect that goes for generations. The decision, even the decision that you made to be here today, that will have a multi-generational effect. The decision that you made to bring your kids and make this part of the pattern of your life, that, will have, that pattern will endure for generations. It will sow seeds for gen The decisions that we make have multi-generational effects for better, or for worse. Unfortunately, however, we, read, we, we live these lives that don't really own the significance because we are, and this is part of our fallen human nature, we naturally lean towards the abdication of responsibility. Oh, it's not my fault. It's not my fault. It's like we have this red button that can bring about disastrous consequences and we're just playing fast and loose with it. Just, oh, let's see what this is. Bang, 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 bang. Well, we've seen what happens when human beings live like that, when they don't live in accordance with their dignity. We've seen world history is the result of that. Well, this, the significance of decision is highlighted in also in Genesis chapter two, in the setting up of the two trees in the garden. With everything else, in Genesis chapter one, it says 10 times, and God says, and then seven times correspondingly, because seven is the number of perfection, seven times it says, and it was so. It's the Hebrew word, amen, so be it. It comes from that uh, same phrase. And it was so, God said and it was so. But when it comes to human beings, God says something and whether it will be so is a matter of decision. It's a matter of response. And that decision, in order to make that decision emphatic and obvious, God places two trees in a garden and he gives them a choice between these two trees. This is what it says so that they would make this choice very consciously. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now the significance of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is that this is a tree that represented God's divine prerogative, that God is the one who determines what is right and wrong. 
And to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil symbolise us taking that prerogative, prerogative for ourselves to choose for ourselves what life is all about and what's right and wrong. It's the taking of that divine prerogative. Remember, um, in, for those of you who are familiar with Genesis chapter three, the temptation to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was that you would be like God, you can be gods. This is the beginning of this God complex that I've talked about. And so that's the significance of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I know what's best. And so I'm gonna do life my own way and turn away from God's way. Verse 15, um, I'm just gonna skip down to verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. It's interesting, um, just a footnote here. Those words, to work it and take care of it, in the Hebrew, those words have strong religious connotations. It's actually the same words that are used to describe what the priests did in the temple to guard the holy place and those actions of, uh, of worship in the holy place. That's the words that are used here uh, about what human beings were to do in the garden. As I said, this is very theologically dense uh, text. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not, now that's the same phrase as in the Ten Commandments, deliberately. Thou shalt not in the old English. Thou shalt not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will certainly die. Have you ever asked yourself the question, why did God even put the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? I mean, here's a good idea. If you don't want things to go wrong, don't put the tree there. Like, don't put the tree or just put a big wall around it or something, you know? Why did God put this tree in their path? It's like he put it in the path on the way up to the tree of life. I mean, you know, using our imagination. Why? Because God wanted us to make a decision. Because he was looking for a relationship with us. Because we're not just like lonely slaves like everyone else believed in the ancient world. Because we have a, we have a choice to make. Would we respond in love and faith would we respond to God or would we not? He wants a relationship. So he, he gives us a choice. He gives us a choice not to. The two trees in a way, they recognise that they, um, they really become a kind of sacramental mechanism, if I may use that term. We, we refer, sacraments are like baptism and the Lord's Supper. Sacraments are sacred symbols that we use to make decisions, to make decisions explicit. So when you decide to follow Jesus, it's very important that you make that decision explicit by being baptised. And in that symbol, you are making that decision and it matters. It's the same when we take the Lord's Supper and, and uh, in a moment, we're gonna take the Lord's Supper together. These are symbols, the cup that represents the shed blood of Jesus and the bread that represents the broken body of Jesus. This is what Jesus did for us, but we have to respond. It's not automatic. Jesus did this for us, but there's a decision that we have to make. I mean, a lot of people have this kind of view that, well, Jesus did this and look, everyone's, you know, everyone just is automatically saved. No, it's not the way it works in the Bible. There's a decision that we need to make. God's looking for a decision. 
And communion is a way in which we make this decision explicit. It's interesting the weight that Paul, uh, in, when he discusses these symbols in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul who wrote this letter, it's part of the New Testament, he says this, so whoever then, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment upon themselves. In other words, it really matters. And by the way, he's not saying you have to be good enough or worthy enough in order to take this. No, you just have to be genuinely desirous of giving your life to Jesus. You just have to be genuinely saying yes to the forgiveness that Jesus offers. Because if you are using a sacrament, something sacred, to make a decision explicit, so make sure it's a genuine choice there. It matters what we choose. So two things that come from the text so far. One, our decisions really, really matter. The decisions that you make have a domino effect, as I said, that go for, goes for generations. Now you might say, oh man, I just, I don't want that kind of responsibility. Well, welcome to being human. This is what it means to be, it really matters that much. Secondly, we learn here that God wants us to make our decisions explicit, to be conscious of our decisions. Because again, in our culture, we just do, we just express, we just make decisions without really owning the significance of the decisions that we're actually making. We just give in to whatever we're thinking or feeling or we just mouth off or we just, and we don't think about actually what that sows into the environment. It sows chaos into the environment. And this is what we see in Genesis chapter three when human beings do eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, chaos ensues. In fact, the chapter is designed to show how everything it's tipped is tipped on its edge. Remember at the beginning, right at the beginning of Genesis, the, the story begins with this watery chaos, this symbol of chaos, the, the, the waters that, are cover, that cover the face of the earth. And God is gonna bring about order and life in that chaos. And when human beings reject that, guess what? You get this downward spiral back into chaos and ultimately you end up in Genesis chapter seven with the flood. The earth is covered again with the waters because everything dissolves back into chaos. That's the significance of your decision how you respond to each other, how the decisions that you make, you can sow chaos into a situation. Now the good news though, is that we can also have the opportunity to do the opposite. Now today you might be here and recognize, and I'm sure all of us will recognize this in some way, the effect that our decisions have made. Let's not be too quick. I mean, I, I, it's important that we don't take responsibility things for things that uh, other people need to be responsible for and so forth, you get all of that. But we, you know, we have this tendency in our culture to step back from responsibility. It's not my fault. Oh, that's not your fault. You know, but you see, it's safe now for us to recognize that actually our decisions can have a lot of negative effect. 
Why is it safe to see that? Because that does no longer does that need to determine our destiny. This is the good news. The good news is that your bad decisions in the past, they no longer need to determine your identity. If you feel like you are sitting in, the, in a mess that you have made, in, the, in this amazing sense, God can redeem that mess. In fact, he can do things in and through that mess that he wouldn't have been able to do unless you made that mess. I know that sounds a little bit wrong. But I know many people have messed up their lives, but God works through what they learn through that and they minister to other people who are in a like kind of mess. We're all broken people and we're all on a journey. This is, as I say, this is our recovery community, isn't it? We're all in recovery. We've all got life controlling issues. But here's the good news is that we do not need to allow our past decisions to determine our lives anymore. And here's why. It's because God came to us in Jesus Christ like a second Adam and he actually fulfilled human responsibility. The importance of this, of God doing it this way is remember the illustration about, you know, messing up your room. Well, you messed it up. You have to clean it up. That was human empowerment. If it's your, the mess is your responsibility, human responsibility, and cleaning up the mess is human responsibility. Now, God doesn't just come in and sweep human beings out of the way. Oh, look what you've done. All right, I'll clean it up. What he does do is that he comes to us in human form. This is why this is important. Because he's not cancelling out his former decision to put human beings in charge. Instead, he comes to us in human form. And he, in Jesus Christ, he fulfills all righteousness. In Jesus Christ, he takes on himself the guilt of our sin. And he fulfills all righteousness so that we can make a decision now rather than living in the domino effect of all the bad decisions that have happened since Adam, we can actually now step under Christ and establish a different pattern. We can step into grace, but this too is a decision. And the decision that we make in relation to Jesus Christ, talk about putting weight on a decision. This decision, listen to this, it will determine the decision that you make in relation to Jesus Christ, whether you say yes or no, will determine your eternity, your eternal destiny. Now again, you might say, oh, that's too much responsibility. That's too much responsibility. And I'm not canceling out divine sovereignty in all of that. These two, these things work together. The Bible always puts a lot of weight on human responsibility. Will it be yes or no? We have the opportunity. We have the opportunity to make decisions consciously that are going to 
establish a different pattern in our lives. So what you need to first of all do is that you need to own the decisions that you have made that have been negative. Own that, take responsibility for it. Recognize where you have made those decisions. That's a decision. And a lot of the time we decide not to do that. Instead, you can make a decision to bring all of that mess, all of the fallen dominoes, right? You can bring all of that to Jesus, offer it up to Jesus and say, Jesus, can we begin a new domino effect, a domino effect of blessing on me and my children and their children and their children after them? And it can be so. This is amazing. It can be so for you and those who come after you. It all comes down to the decision that we make in relation to Jesus Christ. Now one of the things that can tend to happen again is that we, we sort of make this decision, but oh yeah, I guess, you know, maybe, no, hard, fast decision. Is it gonna be yes or is it gonna be no? Because the worst place to be is in the middle. You will suffer terribly from being in the middle. <laughs> you know, when we try and sit in that middle space, oh, people go through agony. Life can be way harder when you're in that middle because you're, you're playing tug of war, right? You know you should be going this way, but you're kind of going that way and your whole life is in friction, right? And we bring enormous suffering upon ourselves because we just don't make a clear decision. Are you going to follow Jesus? Are you going to be part of his purpose for your life or are you going to go your own way? You have to make that decision. And if you sit in the middle, man, that's a really hard place to live in the middle. I'd like us to stand, please. So today we're gonna to make a decision. I'll get the music team to come up. Today we're gonna to make a decision together and we're going to use the symbols that Jesus gave us to make this decision. I had this, had this picture during the week as I was, uh, as I was praying uh, about this and I, I saw this decision in two respects corresponding with uh, two quite common scenarios in the life of Jesus. The first one is those times when Jesus stood before those who were crippled and He would say to them, your sins are forgiven. Now get up and walk. There was a decision that they had to make to walk in the new life that He had been given. In, in, in the, the healing and forgiveness, there was a decision that they had to make. That's the first one. Some of you today need to step into that decision. Jesus is standing before you and maybe you feel paralysed. Maybe you feel like I can't even pray. I don't even know how to do this. I, I, I don't even know how to move forward. Do something, right? Get up and walk, do something, talk to someone, take an action, make a decision. Even if it's just ringing, you know, talking to a friend or a pastor, praying with someone, make a decision. 
get up and walk. Because Jesus has cured you of your paralysis. There is no reason that you cannot walk with God now. There is no reason why you cannot walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, as Paul talked about last week. No reason. It comes down to your decision whether you will get up and walk or not. That's the first thing. Secondly, I see those moments when Jesus went to His disciples in their various activities, you know, like the fishermen with their nets. And He said, listen, come and follow me, which meant that they had to put their nets down and all of the concerns and, and that, you know, all of those priorities that went with the nets and running a business and all of the stresses. And He's saying, put that down essentially and seek first the Kingdom of God. I wonder if for you, there's some nets that you need to put down. Maybe there's some nets that are really stressing you out right now. <laughs> They've got lots of holes, you're not catching many fish, right? It's not going so well and you're really stressed about it. And Jesus is saying to you today, put the net down. I want you to put the net down and come and follow me. Some of you feel like you're in paralysis and Jesus is saying, get up and walk. And I want you to use communion today as a way of saying, yes, I will. And then keep making decisions. Pray with someone, talk to someone, right? Secondly, put down the nets, for goodness sake, put down the nets and go follow Jesus and see what He will do with your life.